You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now bring you pro-life activism from creation to death with Jim Sedlak. Hello and welcome to pro-life activism from creation to death. This is a program that is intended for all those who want to create a culture of life in the United States. Each week we bring you up to date on the latest news in the pro-life movement, what's happening around the country and sometimes around the world. And we do this through interviews and through pointing out news highlights. On today's show, we're going to have two very special uh, guests uh, who we'll get to in, in a couple of minutes. But before we get into today's program, I ask you to say a Hail Mary with me to ask the Blessed Mother to shower God's graces on all those who are involved with or listening to this program so that we will all receive the message that she wants each of us to get at this moment. And so if you would join me, please. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you so much for saying that prayer with me. It is always a good idea whenever you begin a new activity during the day to ask Mary to shower God's graces on whatever it is that you are doing. Over the course of the, of the last few weeks, we've mentioned on our show here a movement uh, within the pro-life community, uh, Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn. And we've talked specifically about what's happening in Lubbock, Texas, and mentioning other cities that have uh, proclaimed themselves to be sanctuary cities for the unborn. So first, the founder of the Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn, his name is Mark Lee Dixon. Could you tell us a bit about how you got involved in the pro-life movement? So it all really started with my grandfather, and he was a director with Right to Life of East Texas, and he would be working these booths at the Gregg County Fair. And at the Gregg County Fair, the Right to Life booth, they would have these little fetal models. And I remember early on going by the Gregg County Fair booth to see my grandpa, and I saw those fetal models on that table. And those, take, those, those have a huge impact on so many people. And it's been a joy over the years to, to work that fair booth at the Gregg County Fair and just see little kids walk by and say, look, Mom, it's a baby. And they're absolutely right. At 12 weeks, at 6 weeks, uh, it's a baby. It's a human being made in the image of God that's worthy of protection. We, we all were, were that size at one time, even smaller. And I just love seeing people recognize that. And that's, that's what really got me, my eyes open to the reality that, that unborn children, that, that's, that's, that's human life you've got to protect. Well, that, that's just testimony to, to how people can pass down the pro-life message in the family. Uh, and congratulations to your grandfather for, for uh, passing that on to you. Uh, so you became part of the pro-life movement. I assume you did some you know, the normal pro-life things, as you said, manning booths and maybe giving some talks. Somehow you, you got onto to an idea of sanctuary cities for the unborn. My grandfather passed away a few years after I was in high school, involved in something he was involved in. And so I, that's how I became a director with Right to Life of East Texas. And then uh, involved with that and then also uh, pastoring a, a church there in Longview and ended up, uh, our associate pastor had encouraged me to go to the closest abortion clinic with him. 
uh, an abortion facility called Hope Medical Group for Women. Now, Hope is a horrible name for an abortion facility uh, because there's no hope in abortion. There's no hope, no hope to be found in those abortion facilities. And I remember going there, and God just really worked in my heart. And I started going out there on a regular basis, and we saw a number of women choose life. And we helped those mothers and those children, and we got even got to to name a child, uh, baby Kara. So God was just really doing some incredible to that work. And one day there was a lady that we were reaching out to at the abortion facility, and she had commented that those on the inside of that abortion facility had said that they may be closing down soon. And it was used, I think, as a encouragement for that woman to get an abortion. And I don't know if that woman did get an abortion or not. I really don't that know what the outcome of that situation was. But I remember driving home that day with that question on my mind, what would happen if that abortion facility closed down? And I was reminded that in the early 90s, there was someone down in the Houston area that had pledged land and a building to that abortion facility in Shreveport, Louisiana. And that land and building that they pledged was in Wascom, Texas. Now, Wascom is right there on the Texas-Louisiana border. It's 18 miles west of Shreveport. In news articles in the early 90s, the director of the abortion facility admitted that if abortion was ever shut down in Louisiana, it would make sense for them to cross the border to Wascom, Texas. Now, Wascom's population is 2,189. It's a small city. That city was at one time the target of the abortion industry. And so that was really heavy on my heart. And I started to realize that there were tentacles that looked like they were still established and that looked like the abortion industry may be looking at crossing the border. And so ended up, reached out to the mayor of Wascom and the mayor, I shared with him my concerns. And the mayor of Wascom asked what he could do. It just rolled off my tongue. I said, you need to pass an ordinance outlawing abortion within city limits. He said to expedite him that ordinance. And that's when I realized it hadn't been done before. And God provided and God brought uh, together a an ordinance that was passed there in in Wascom, Texas, on June 11, 2019. And then since then, we've had 28 other cities pass similar ordinances outlawing abortion. And it's been incredible, incredible experience. And I am hopeful to see many more cities in the weeks and months to come. I'm, I'm sure you met opposition at the beginning. People say, well, you can't do that because of Roe v. Wade and, and Doe v. Bolton. Then how did you overcome just that, that initial inertia? Well, and just for clarification, um, I'm one of those guys that I, I study nonstop. I, when, I, when I pour myself into something, I, I like to look at the history, go to old news articles. And so I, I was fairly young in the early 90s I, through research. That's how I found the, those articles. And in this whole journey, uh, these ordinances, because, I mean, I believe that Roe v. Wade, illegitimate court opinion, I, I think nowhere in the Constitution do we see that abortion is a right. I think that the Supreme Court invented that right. And so these, the way that these ordinances are written, they, they're very clear that with that belief that nowhere in the Constitution do we find uh, abortion. However, the way that these, these ordinances are written, uh, they work within those Supreme Court decisions, uh, while at the same time calling out that the emperor has no clothes. This is written in such a way that these ordinances have been able to stand the test. We've, we saw a lawsuit brought by the ACLU against seven of the cities in East Texas. And three months later, we saw that lawsuit withdrawn and abortion remains banned in all those cities. And of course, most recently we saw in Lubbock, Planned Parenthood brought a lawsuit against the city of Lubbock 
And still, we saw victory in that with the uh, the judge, the federal judge, dismissing the case, as which was, I think, really huge for a federal judge to dismiss a lawsuit brought by Planned Parenthood over an abortion ban. And so definitely setting some historical precedent there. And I really do believe that these ordinances are bulletproof and that the dismissal in the, the Lubbock case, I think, I think proves that, uh, that we have seen these tests and you know, cities need not be afraid in Texas to outlaw abortion. We have seen actually a, the attorney general's office released an opinion that said that the Lubbock ordinance completely consistent with state law. Now, there is the heartbeat bill that was passed, which definitely supports cities doing this here in Texas. Uh, it says in that heartbeat bill that cities can actually pass stricter prohibitions on abortion uh, than the state law, uh, the heartbeat bill. Um, what Mark is, is talking about is just this week, at the beginning of the week, um, the, the court uh, dismissed the Planned Parenthood lawsuit. Last week, we had talked about the Planned Parenthood lawsuit, and that dismissal came uh, just this week, and it was, it was celebrated, and it's one of the reasons why we have Mark on, on the show today, because um, it, it was such a, a major victory. Uh, now, not all these uh, sanctuary cities are in Texas, right? You have some in other states. Absolutely. We have two in Nebraska. So Hayes Center, Nebraska, and Blue Hill, Nebraska. And then also we've got one in Ohio, and that's in Lebanon, Ohio. You know, Lebanon is home to the Golden Lamb Hotel, which is the oldest hotel in the state of Ohio. And that's where presidents have slept and uh, Charles Dickens and a ton of historical figures that we just love reading about. And that's a lot, a lot of history in that town of Lebanon. But... That's not all the history of that town, because that town made history uh, this last month in outlawing abortion and becoming the first city in the state of Ohio to do so. And and I can assure you that they're not going to be the last city in Ohio either. Obviously, uh, you've talked a little bit about it, but what kind of obstacles are thrown in your way as you're pushing sanctuary cities for the unborn across Texas and, and across the United States? Many of the obstacles deal with people thinking that that this couldn't happen in their community. And I always like to remind people that, you know, these things can happen in their community. And that's why we need to be, we need to be proactive rather than reactive. The Biden administration this year said that they want to see abortion access in every zip code. That means that all of our cities are at risk. It's hard for some people to picture an abortion facility coming into their city because what they're thinking is they're thinking brick and mortar. Kind of like, you know, the blockbusters, you know, at one time we had brick and mortar blockbusters all across the United States. But then as the times changed, we started seeing red boxes. People are streaming movies online. Uh, We're seeing less brick and mortars. And the abortion industry, I think, is in a very similar spot that what they're focusing on more and more is RU486, the abortion pill. It's like the abortion facility in Shreveport. You know, 70 percent about uh, their abortion, I think, are medical abortions, RU486, and only 30 percent are surgical abortion. Well, we all know where the abortion industry is going, and that's RU486. They want abortion by mail. They would love for abortion access to be through vending machines. And so that's why cities need to do everything they can to stand up and say, you know, that may happen in other cities, but here in our city limits, it's not going to happen. That babies are not going to be murdered in our city. I said before, Faith Montgomery is a senior at Dickinson High School, and she's looking to get her city and other cities throughout Galveston County 
uh, to become uh, the sanctuary cities for the unborn. Obviously, you, you've been motivated by the news media, by whatever, in terms of trying to do something in your city. Maybe you could give us just a little bit of your background, uh, how you became so pro-life that you want to do this. So for me, it all started with a movie. So my mom was sitting down just in our living room, and she was watching this movie called Unplanned, where it's Abby Johnson and her experience uh, as a director of Planned Parenthood and how she came to see the manipulation of the abortion industry. And I remember just walking by my mom as she was watching the film on my way out to get coffee with a friend, and it was the, it was this, it was the actual abortion scene where the doctor said, kind of just making a joke out of killing a human life. And I remember getting in the car and just sitting there for a few minutes and not knowing what to think of that because I didn't want to watch the movie at first. But when I came home, I told my mom, I was like, Mom, I really feel like I need to watch this film. And so I sat down with her and, of course, we're bawling our eyes out the entire film. And you see you see as they piece together the, the dead babies and how they just how the industry manipulates these women. And I I just began to see this is wrong. Abortion is something that is marketed via the media as something that is very pro-woman. It's something that all women need to have access to. And the more that you look into it, the more that you see how our women are being manipulated into thinking that their greatest superpower, the ability to create life from themselves, is their greatest weakness. And I just my, my heart just began to ache for all of these lives that have been lost and for all of these women who are making these decisions just because they don't know what's actually happened what's actually happening because they're being lied to and manipulated and so from this i began to just do my research into abortion and into planned parenthood and things like that and i happened to stumble upon an article about sanctuary cities from the unborn that was inaccurate it was saying that lebanon ohio was the first city to outlaw abortion which was it's actually just the first city in ohio not in the united states i came to find out through research and I stumbled across the decision as well, and I was and I was just sitting there, and I was thinking, I was like, I am only 17 years old, and this is something that would be huge, but I would really love to see if I could be a part of this. Both you and Mark mentioned the importance of research of of uh, once you once you hear about something, or whatever, to dig in and to find out the facts, and that's what a lot of um, Americans, unfortunately, don't do. They listen to the the uh, the propaganda coming from one side or the other, but they don't do the research to find out the facts. And both of you have done that, and, and that is absolutely uh, fantastic. You're, you're talking about having your city, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot to, to mention, what is your city? It's in Texas. Do you have abortion facilities there already? I'm not quite sure. I don't think that there is one in Dickinson, but I know that there, I know that there are many in Houston and in the surrounding area. Are you talking to other people in the city? Are you getting any support? I've been working with like start, starting just kind of base level with my friend with my friends and my family and the families of my friends and trying to figure out the climate of the city and how they feel feel about abortion because abortion is one of those topics that people try and shy away from in polite conversation. So it, I feel I feel like it's I've just been trying to figure out how they feel about it the way we can work to get it done in Dickinson. One of the stories that comes out of Lubbock is uh, the encouragement that uh, the city council in Lubbock did not want to touch this at all. When it was first brought up, the city council said, no, we're not even going to get into that. And so the citizens in Lubbock had to, to circulate a petition to just get the city council to hold a meeting to discuss it, uh, the sanctuary cities. They got enough signatures on the petition, so the city council had to hold a meeting, which they did. And even though there was a lot of support for the sanctuary cities, 
when it came time to vote on whether to go forward with it, 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 there was a unanimous no vote from the city council. And so then the citizens had to get something put on the ballot in the next election in order to uh, push the issue forward. And, and they were able to do that. And in fact, in the election, they, they handily won the election with 62% of the vote. But it, even if the city council is totally opposed to what you're doing, the Lubbock situation shows that doesn't stop you. And I think that's fantastic. Mark, uh, any comments on that? Oh, absolutely. Now, the reason we we're able to do the initiative and referendum in, in Lubbock is because the Lubbock City Charter uh, allowed for that. Now, smaller cities, sometimes they don't have the ability for uh, initiative and referendum. And I was actually just in a meeting with some leaders in a city um, nearby at Dickinson, and their city charter doesn't allow for initiative and referendum. So in their situation, all that they could do would be, you know, if their council voted against the ordinance, then they could campaign to get those people out of office and get people in office who would support outlawing abortion in the city. And now with Dickinson, I'm hopeful that we can get the entire council to pass the, the ordinance so we wouldn't have to go a route of initiative and referendum there if their city charter allows for it. I don't know about Dickinson specifically, but if the city didn't have that possibility for initiative and referendum, then there is the option of getting people into office that actually do represent our beliefs and values, which at the end of the day is what we really want across the board. We want people in our positions of mayor, city council, and even like school board and other offices in our city and county that really do have a an impact at the, the culture of what direction we're heading. And we do need to care about what's happening in our state capital, our nation capital, but we really need to care about what's happening in our, our cities and the, those thrones of leadership as well. God bless you for your perseverance and, and uh, for leading the charge through various cities with various rules. And you have to learn them all and know them all and know what's going on in the, in the city you're working at. You said 29 cities have passed it. Are there a lot of cities where, you know, you, you just have to keep on fighting? Absolutely. There have been cities, unfortunately, that have shot this down. And so... We've had to go back to the drawing board and every city we do research in and some cities it's going to take getting people out of office to see this pass. I'm, I'm from a place called White Oak, but next to White Oak is Longview. And so Longview is, is my base in Longview. What's unfortunate about Longview is that the majority of our city council is pro-choice. So I already know if this were to go before my city council in Longview, that this wouldn't pass. Three of our council members have actually openly campaigned for Beto O'Rourke. So that's what we have to, to, to deal with, and we have to kind of ask the question of why is it that our cities sometimes are attracted to liberal leadership, and uh, how do we rectify that problem? Who can we encourage to run for office? And, and that's why I'm so encouraged by people like Faith here. She's 17 years old. She has an attitude that the times I've talked to her, I'm thinking, this person could be president one day, you know? She has that ambition of doing great things in life, and that's encouraging to see. We need to see more younger people have that kind of passion. And anytime we see that, we need to do everything we can to encourage that, to help those people in any way we can accomplish their desires to see their cities take strong stances and, and do what's right. And so Dickinson, outlawing abortion, I don't know of any bad reason against that. I think there's all only good reasons for them to outlaw abortion, and I'm excited to, to work with Faith and her family uh, to see her city uh, become a sanctuary city for the unborn. In, in addition to that, too, this is happening in other cities in Texas that we're 
working with people of all different backgrounds. We are working with council members, we're working with mayors, we're working with pastors of churches. And if they think that they don't need to be involved in this, that it's too political, well, you know, we're talking about something that I was inspired to get involved in this because of the Word of God, that Amos 5.15 is, is a passage that I can't ignore. And I would encourage every pastor, if they think that this isn't a battle they need to be involved with, I just want to encourage them to look at Amos 5.15, to dwell on that, and just to respond to it. And I think if they really do that, then they're going to have to, to get involved in fighting for the not just the soul of, of the nation, but the soul of their city as well. Today we are speaking with Mark Lee Dixon and with Faith Montgomery, and we're discussing the Sanctuary Cities for Life movement, which was started by Mark Lee Dixon some years ago, and which Faith is looking to bring to her community. And uh, we're celebrating a victory this week in Lubbock, Texas, in which a federal court threw out a Planned Parenthood lawsuit and has stopped doing abortions in Lubbock. And when we talk about sanctuary cities and what they're doing, and we talk about Lubbock and all the things that happened there, the bottom line is right now, this week, Planned Parenthood is not doing any abortions in Lubbock because they're afraid of lawsuits, not by the city, but by individuals. And, and Mark, if you could talk a bit about that part of the ordinance, which uh, is what has gotten Planned Parenthood to the point of stopping abortions there. Absolutely. So these ordinances in Texas, now all the ordinances are different when we look at different states and we do different things in different areas. But here in Texas, what we've done is we have private enforcement and mechanism in these ordinances. And what that allows for is that if any abortion is performed within the city limits, then anyone in that city can file a lawsuit against the abortionist or anyone who aids and abets the abortionist for the death of that unborn child. So that means a father could sue the abortionist for the death of his son or daughter. A grandmother could sue the abortionist for the death of their grandchild. And also what this ordinance allows for is even anyone in the state of Texas, they don't have to live in Lubbock. They don't have to live in Wascombe. They don't have to live in, in these other cities that they can sue the abortionist if an abortion takes place in a sanctuary city for the unborn. And it's those lawsuits that, that really have Planned Parenthood worried. And, and I think in, in reading the ordinance in, in Lubbock, I, I think there's a couple of scary parts if I was Planned Parenthood that I would really be worried about, and they obviously are. One of the things that the ordinance says is not only can the father or the grandparents sue, but the woman who had the abortion, the mother of the child, can also sue Planned Parenthood, and there is no statute of limitations on when she can sue. Now, we all know that women who get lied to and, and who get forced sometimes to have abortions uh, later in life regret it. And, and when they find out you know, exactly, yes, this was a baby, it wasn't a, a clump of cells like Planned Parenthood told them, that in fact it was a child and she, she had her child aborted, that according to this ordinance, if that happened in Lubbock and she realized five years later, 10 years later, she could go back and sue Planned Parenthood because there's no statute of limitations. And so I, I think this is the part of the ordinance that is there that really uh, has Planned Parenthood scared. Absolutely. You know, as we're talking here, I'm constantly going to and fro different parts of the state of Texas and different states and and right now, I'm passing through Houston, and just as you're talking there, I drove by the massive Planned Parenthood here in Houston. And that place has ruined so many lives. They have killed so many people. They have hurt so many women. 
And these ordinances, they give those women who've been hurt by abortion a voice. And these ordinances are not just for the unborn, but these ordinances are for the mothers of those unborn children that have been killed by abortion. And this ordinance allows for those voices to be loud. And as you as you pointed out, that women who have regretted their abortion in those cities have full ability to sue the abortionist if an abortion takes place in that city to prevent the future killings of any other children in that city. And of course, if you're passing through Houston, you're talking about the Planned Parenthood abortion facility that is 78,000 square feet. It's the largest abortion facility in the Western Hemisphere right there in in Houston, Texas. So there are valiant pro-lifers who are out there and and next to that building with what they call their blue bus with a sonogram machine in it. And they are routinely talking to women who are on their way in for their abortions. And many of them go and and see uh, their babies on a a sonogram and uh, choose life. When I read the the, uh, the ordinance in Lubbock and I saw all that about the, the ability to sue, and as you said, it's not just the relatives. It actually gives any citizen of Texas the ability to sue. I think this is a, a part of the movement that hasn't been exploited before or tried before. Who came up with this idea? Well, this was one of those things where there's a, a court case called Okapolobi versus Foster. That court case really paved the way for this. The the court ruled that these pre-enforcement lawsuits against the abortion industry can happen, that they can't be prevented. And so that whole idea played a a massive role in these ordinances. And from the very beginning, that was one of my favorite parts of these ordinances, that let's give people the ability to sue the abortionists for the death of these unborn children. And and of course, we have that in Sanctuary Cities ordinances, and that's also in the, the heartbeat bill. And it's something that we are going to see in other bills throughout the United States, that this tool in the toolbox is not going to just stay in Texas. We're going to start seeing this in other cities throughout the United States. In fact, uh, Naples, Florida is the city we're working on, and we have that in the Naples, Florida version of the ordinance that we want to pass in Naples, Florida. And this is something that we, we didn't have this in the Lebanon, Ohio ordinance, but in ordinances going forth in Ohio, we're planning on having that in there just because it's such a a strong tool to put in the toolbox. The ordinance in, in Lubbock says they can sue not only the actual abortionist, they can sue the organization, they can sue anyone who helped in the killing of the of the preborn child, which means you know could even be people who drove the woman to the abortion facility, people who paid for the abortion. It's casting a wide net that, that really is telling people you don't want to be involved in any way with abortion because there's a possibility you could be sued. Yeah, and, and that's the way it should be. I mean, we should – anyone involved in the, the murder of the innocent child, if they're involved in the murder of that innocent child, then they played a role there. And so that's something that we need to really be looking at how we can cast those wide nets. If I ended up uh, willingly drove someone to assassinate a, another individual, I'd be charged. And so we're doing as much as the law allows for us to. And the laws aren't perfect. We live in a world where the whole world embraces Roe v. Wade, but we don't have to. We live in this world, but we can go as far as we possibly can to point out that you know this is uh, an unjust court opinion, and it's not technically the law of the land. Uh, in fact, that's why Biden said he wanted to codify Roe v. Wade. And sometimes it just grieves my heart to hear about other states repealing their pre-Roe statutes buying into the lie that those are no longer good because of Roe v. Wade. That's just not true. 
And so uh, we need to, to fight for all the, the pro-life laws. And I really think we're going to we're going to see victory when we do that. We're going to see this is a pro-life generation and people like Faith Montgomery uh, give hope uh, to the movement that there's, there's a lot more people out there like her. Sometimes they just need encouragement to, to open their mouth and, and be that voice. And, you know, isn't it encouraging, too, that this week there was the news of the valedictorian in a city near Dallas-Fort Worth that she gave a pro-choice speech. Everyone's lauding over, over that pro-choice speech, but, but I'm looking forward to Faith Montgomery's speech that she'll give next year that's going to be a pro-life speech, right? One that hopefully will be the, the beacon for, for this nation, that there is hope in this generation. You know, Faith, what kind of reception are you getting? Are, are your friends pushing back against this, or are they supportive? or what, What's the general tone there? I have gotten a lot of mixed reactions. From a lot of my friends, I've gotten things that are very, very pro-life, and they support me all the way, and they want to see how they can help. I've also gotten a lot of people who are my friends who have said, well, I just I don't want to be involved in politics. I would rather just get to be a kid and be in high school than worry about what the political schema of, the, of, Dickinson, of Dickinson. And I think that makes me sad because, yes, this is a political issue, but it's more than that. It's about giving identity to these children who can't speak for themselves. And with that, I've also gotten people who are very, very angry that I would even think to do something like this because I posted Mr. Dixon's petition to my social media and things, and I've gotten people who just cannot believe that I would go to outlaw abortion and how, as a woman, it is terrible for me to speak against abortion because this is a woman's right. Women should be given the right to choose, and I completely disagree. And their comments are not always tasteful, but I feel like that, co- that comes with the nature of this issue. It's not a polite issue. I feel like with a lot of with a lot of things in politics, they can, there are issues that are less controversial. But this one, it has to do with the lives of human beings who, as I said, they can't speak for themselves. And it's important to give them an identity, regardless of people in Dickinson who believe that we should be given a right to choose. And I believe that we should be given a right to choose to an extent, given given the right to choose the way that we go about, the way that we go about choosing our birth control, the way that we go about choosing what happens once we get pregnant. I believe that there should be accountability of choice there. You, know, you said you got involved after seeing the movie Unplanned. That movie's only a couple of years old. So is this fairly new, your involvement in the pro-life effort? Yes, sir. It is. It is fairly new. It's been within it's been within the past year and a half, I would say, that I've really just got into the pro-life movement. I watched the movie a little bit before the pandemic started. And then when the pandemic hit, you know, there everything was closed down and there was nothing for us to do. And so as I sat there, Thinking about this movie, I was motivated. I was like, what if I just sat down and researched this? Because I don't believe that that movie could have that effect on me and abortion be as good for women as people say. I don't believe that both things could be true at once. And so I just, I was inspired to just sit down and just do my research and find out what the facts are. Find out how abortion affects women after they've had their abortion, before they've had their abortion, and how that compares to people who've kept the baby or given the baby up for adoption. As Mark was describing who you are and what what you were doing as a 17-year-old high school senior, it reminded me of the story of Lila Rose. But she started her activity when she was in high school. Uh, She now leads one of the most effective pro-life organizations in the country. It's called Live Action. She is really doing great work. It just reminded me of her. So um, I think you, you follow your passion. Follow, you know, God's word for you because you're going to do great things. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Mark, what can we expect to see? Is there is there some cities um, that are near uh, becoming sanctuary cities for life at this point, or what's happening? 
we, we're working in places all across the United States right now. And I can say this, that Monday we have the city of Leveland voting. Uh, that's a city of about 15,000 people. This is their second reading. We are hopeful that this will pass. And so I'm hopeful that I'll get to write one of those articles for live action about the 30th city's outlaw abortion. Uh, hopefully I get to write that Monday night. we got another city voting on Tuesday. We've got several cities in Ohio that uh, we believe will be voting uh, this month. Another city in Texas. We've got some cities uh, in other states, too, that are ready to go. We're just waiting on the right timing. And so this movement is not going to slow down anytime soon. And People can follow this movement at SanctuaryCitiesForTheUnborn.com, and that's where we keep track of all these cities that have passed the ordinance and all the cities that have denied the ordinance and, and all the, the details in the, the battle. If people want to get in touch with you, is there an email address that they can send or a phone number or anything like that, or should they just go to the website? The website really is best. If they're contacting at, because they want to see abortion outlawed in their community, the best thing to do is to sign the online petition. And on that online petition, they can enter in uh, any information in the comment section. If they're a city council member, if they're a mayor, and they want to see this fast track, yeah, they can comment on that. And I will definitely get in touch with them uh, as soon as possible. Uh, but this is something that this whole movement really works off of uh, just the uh, generosity of churches and individuals. That uh, This is not something that it's a huge moneymaker or anything of that nature. We just go where the Lord leads us to go. And... Today, the Lord's leading me down in the Houston area. And so you never know what to expect either. Who knows? Maybe maybe that will lead to the city of Houston becoming a sanctuary city for the unborn. And wouldn't that be great to see Houston become a sanctuary city for the unborn and outlaw abortion in, in a place where we're seeing more abortions than many other places throughout the United States? The website, again, is sanctuarycitiesfortheunborn.com. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, and we'll look forward to having both of you back on um, in, in the future. Thank you so okay. much. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. You're very welcome. You know, the dynamic people who are involved in this program, not only Mark Lee Dixon, but uh, Faith Montgomery. And uh, we're going to end our program the way we always end our program. And that is by asking our blessed mother, mother of God, spread the effect of grace of thy flame of love over all of humanity now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you so much for listening.